there are huge challenges, and I think you've got to take kind of small steps here. So it's certainly on the operational side. Are there tools, are there technologies like artificial intelligence, like other emerging technologies, remote technologies that we're familiar with today yeah. that I can leverage to maybe drive more efficiency within that healthcare process, within that patient journey? Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm Ian Porter de Leon. Today on the podcast, I talk with Peter Shen, head of digital health, North America at Siemens Health and Ears, to dive into the digitization of the healthcare industry. We discuss the unique challenges that clinicians are facing, particularly regarding immense amounts of data and limited time to utilize it, as well as the possibilities for using AI and large learning models to improve patient care. This episode outlines the massive challenges in the industry, as well as the hope that new technologies can help us move the needle. So, Peter, some of these challenges aren't new. Some of the things that the healthcare industry has to deal with, whether it comes from staffing, data silos, all these things, they're not really new problems. But I think the conversation might be shifting a little bit simply because there's some new solutions. So let's just pause for a second. Let's talk about what actually is the challenge right now, what's unique about some of them, and then we can kind of talk about the ways in which you're thinking about them. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that the challenges are maybe not new but I think they've been really exacerbated over the last several years. Yeah, so certainly coming out of the pandemic where I think we all recognize the importance of clinicians, nurses, everyone that's involved in healthcare, that put a big burden within the healthcare industry. There were second order effects to that too. It wasn't just the individual and I'm tired and I'm burnt out and I might be thinking about doing something different. There were second order effects of, well, what's the next generation of clinicians and nurses and doctors and how are people thinking differently about the, the profession. Exactly. So clinicians already, you know, were overwhelmed with the amount of work that they had. And then, of course, then the pandemic happened. And I think that put more pressure on them, more stress on them. So we have a lot of stories, anecdotal stories about physician burnout, nurses being burnt out. Because there was a shortage also, a lot of clinical staff, hospital staff also could pick and choose where they wanted to practice their care. Excellent. Was there kind of like a great resignation too, like within the healthcare? A little industry? bit. I don't know if it's a resignation, but maybe more of a of a choice. Yeah. So there was an opportunity for a recareering. Yeah, recareering or finding new ways to be able to still do what they do best. But because they knew they were in such high demand, they had a lot of flexibility to go where they wanted to practice medicine or where they wanted to take care of patients. So so that was a big stress. That was an added stress. And then the other big challenge is that we have this aging population. We have individuals that are getting older, and there's predictions that certainly within the next five years, the senior citizen population is going to increase substantially here. Unfortunately, that part of the population requires more focus on health care. So there's more health care demand. It's putting a lot of pressure. So, and unfortunately, I mean, we see it directly in, in, in a lot of the healthcare services that are provided. So within, let's say, radiology, we see a tremendous increase year over year in terms of imaging volume. So the number of imaging exams that need to be done within the radiology service line continues to increase. Yeah, because it's the capability of capturing more. But just because you capture yes. more doesn't mean yes. you can analyze. Yeah, I mean, you're touching on, on the other challenge, which is that there's more and more data. And certainly with every new technology advance that we have, just like within radiology, you know, every new MRI scanner or CAT scanner that's out there, x-ray machine, it's generating more and more pieces of information. More information that we had five years ago, 10 years ago, or whatever the case may be. So tremendous amount of data that's being generated. The rate that that's being generated 
doesn't even compare to the much slower growth rate of new clinicians, new doctors that are coming into healthcare. So as you can imagine, there's this gap that's yeah, growing. A massive yeah. gap of like, here's all the stuff that we're capturing it, in the And it could be fantastic data. It could be wonderful data, useful data, but if you don't have anybody to, or anything or any entity to analyze and make sense of it and turn it into value or patient outcomes, then yeah. well, what's the point of capturing it? So it becomes now this huge challenge, you know, one operationally, right? Because the clinician, the people taking care of the patient have less time that they can spend on an individual patient because they've got this huge volume of other exams to review or a huge volume of patients that they need to take care of. So from an operational standpoint, huge inefficiencies there or, or desire to try to be more efficient, try to do more with less type of thing. And then on the opposite end, on the clinical side, the clinician just doesn't have time to consume all of this patient data that's being generated. So what happens to that? Because that's fascinating, because I imagine that just they're just overwhelmed. They're like, well, no, I can only work so much. I only have so much capacity, whether it's mental or physical. And there's this mountain of data that just keeps yes. growing and growing. Yes. What's happening to it? What's the conversation around that look like? So, you know, certainly there's a desire by the clinician to say, yeah, I would love to know more about the patient to make that decision. But I just, I literally don't have the time to consume all that information to be able to make that clinical decision. So in many cases, they just have to go with Again, what they've maybe been trained with, what their historical knowledge is around that particular disease or whatnot, or go with the limited amount of information that they have about that patient to make that diagnostic decision or that treatment for that particular patient. So it becomes a real challenge for the clinician. And that's not even touching on the fact that there are new treatments that are being developed, exactly. new research that's happening, right? But they have to stay on top of that as well exactly. and integrate into their exactly. practice. That's not happening at all. So a great example is in, in the area of prostate cancer, when patients are diagnosed with prostate cancer, unfortunately, a lot of urologists rely on kind of their historical knowledge on what they perceived was successful for their previous patients. And they use that treatment plan for that new patient that's been diagnosed with prostate cancer, not taking into effect all these new advances in terms of treatments, new technologies that are out there to be able to take care of the patient. So, And from a patient experience standpoint, there was probably an expectation that, that their clinician or their doctor, they're factoring in all the data yes. they collected. Yes. They're looking at all the different treatment options and they're making the best choice for that particular patient. And there's this, that trust there, but also it's a human being that's being responsible for this. And there's only so much benefit. You're, you're absolutely right. So, that's the, so the human, the patient wants to trust that their doctor is taking in all the latest information, knows what the best personalized treatment for that patient is. I think the other challenge that we're seeing within healthcare on the patient side is the patient is now being a consumer within healthcare. So the patient is not just saying, okay, I trust everything to the doctor. The patient says, wait a second, I have access to the internet. I can also search what's the latest. I could self-diagnose. Yeah, I can ask Dr. Google what the ailment is. But the patient has a level of consumerism where they're getting involved in their healthcare process as well. And I think that's also playing an effect that's driving this need for technology within healthcare, yeah? So you've got these operational challenges that are there. You've got this clinical need from the provider side, and then you have now this more informed patient that is also trying to seek the most optimal outcome for their disease. So you're having this confluence of all these different pressures, and here's where hopefully new technologies, emerging technologies are going to be able to save the day. Yeah, which is exactly where you fit in. That's literally your job is to yes. take a look at all these challenges that you just outlined and make recommendations, be thoughtful about how to apply the technology 
to be able to create the outcomes that you're looking for. And how do you, I mean, how do you do that? How do you approach this? Because these are big, these are not new problems and these are not small problems. So Peter, how are you completely transforming the healthcare industry for the better? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really crazy, but you know, there are huge challenges and I think you've got to take kind of small steps here. So certainly on the operational side, are there tools, are there technologies like artificial intelligence, like other emerging technologies, remote technologies that we're familiar with today that I can leverage to maybe drive more efficiency within that healthcare process, within that patient journey? So is there a way that I can use technology so the patient doesn't have to spend so much time waiting for their exam to be done or spend so much time trying to figure out where the closest place that they can see their doctor is. If they have to get a specialized exam, can they go to their local hospital to do it or do they have to travel hundreds of miles to go to a, the big city to do it? That's what we're looking at from an operational standpoint. From a clinical standpoint, can I arm the clinician with tools, again, emerging technologies or whatnot, that assist the clinician in terms of making that diagnostic decision. So we're not trying to replace what the clinician does because, hey, we don't need less doctors. Yeah, we need more doctors. But yeah, we need, but we need more, more of the human doctor yes. and their unique capabilities yes. Yes. to be able to spend more time doing yes. that. So as we talked about, that doctor is not seeing all that clinical information about the patient, is not seeing all the latest and greatest therapies for that patient. So is there a way that we can leverage technology to help the doctor become more informed so that that clinician can make that more informed diagnostic decision, make that more personalized treatment plan for the patient? Can we use technology, artificial intelligence, other technologies that are out there to bring some of that clinical data to that clinician so he or she can make that decision? So that's a tremendous aspect as well. Yeah. And those technologies being applied, because as we all know, because we're all consumers, everyone listening yep. to this too is a consumer of services, of clinical services, of hospital services, of you know pharmaceutical services. And we all know that the friction that exists there. And you just want to know, like you mentioned, what's the closest service for X, Y, and Z use case? And without getting like, 100 results or inaccurate results, or I have to log into this database for this, I have to log into another website for that. You're already addressing some of the, the low-hanging fruit friction that exists within the system from an operational standpoint, too. What is that hope for removing some of the friction right now? And, I mean, before we even get to sort of some of the next things and next pieces of technology mm-hmm. are getting applied here, what are some of the ways you're looking at right now removing some of the friction with the way that things exist? For us, it all starts with the fundamentals, and that's with the data, yeah, the clinical yes. data and the operational data of an organizational So first on the operational side, the healthcare industry, providers, hospitals, doctors, clinicians, they've been all tasked to do more of less. Yeah, we recognize, okay, there's a shortage of this or that or whatnot. That seems like it'd be a flawed request though. (laughs) Exactly, right? You're in charge of people's care, not only care of making sure that they have their increased quality of life, increased duration of life, and let's maybe cut your budget a little bit (laughs) and work you a little harder. That sounds like a great recipe. It's crazy, right? (laughs) So, So there's tremendous pressure on them to operationally be more efficient. So, okay, you have that edict now as an organization, as a hospital, as a provider, as a clinician, how do you tackle that? Where do you look? Where do you look for? So our view is you first need to look at, we need to get a baseline. We need to get an understanding of what are we doing as an organization? So we've created platforms that are looking at kind of the operations within the healthcare enterprise, the operations within the radiology department, cardiology department, whatever the case may be, that shiny MRI magnet that the hospital invested in that cost millions of dollars. Are we actually using it 
to its fullest extent. And oh, by the way, are we using it with the features and functions that it's capable of doing? Yeah, I think you're well. touching on something yeah. really important, just having the visibility and understanding what's it, happening exactly. right now. Without the visibility, you can't make any decisions. It, exactly. So to your point, before you can even apply any sort of technologies here, we have to understand what's the baseline? Where should we go attack this problem of being efficient or inefficient. So first we really got to look at where within the healthcare operation should we look at things. So the other piece that we're looking at from the clinical standpoint is how do we unify all these kind of disparate pieces of clinical data? So one of the biggest challenges within healthcare is that the patient data exists in multiple silos, even within the hospital, multiple systems, multiple databases, different systems that don't talk to each other, all, all that type of stuff. So is there a way that you can unify or bring together all these different disparate pieces of clinical data into one patient-centric database? And once I have that patient-centric database, then we can start talking about, oh, let's apply new and emerging technologies like AI, like whatever the case may be, large language models, all that type exactly. of stuff. But if you, if you can't access the data, then how are you going to do anything with data. it? If I can't find correlations within the data, find relatable data between that radiology exam, that laboratory exam, the genomic information, then those technologies can only go so far. But if I can start linking all that patient data together, that's where I've got the greatest potential for it. Yeah, and what's the big hurdle there? I know there's a lot of different opinions swirling around with regards to whether or not that can even be done. Yeah. Lots of hurdles, a lot of them that can be addressed with technology, some of them which can't, because I think there's a lot of questions about who has ownership of that data, for example. So I think the hospital might say, hey, you know, the patient came in, they did the exam at our hospital, so we have ownership of that data. Yeah, that's our data. The payer, the insurance provider might say, well, wait a second, we paid for that exam, so we should have access to that data. Even us as a manufacturer, we, we say, hey, that patient did their exam on our piece of equipment. We have access to that data as well. And then, of course, you have the patient who says, wait a second, that's me that you're talking about. Yeah. And I should be able to tell all of you exactly. who should have access to my data. Exactly. Where's, the, you know, where's the end user license agreement? Well, yeah. for one, I get into that MRI machine right. and you just hit accept before reading, of course, and you just kind of skim through yeah. it, though. Because I think you touch on a really important point that it's not just a technology problem, really. There's a much more fundamental problem with regards to data access, visibility, privacy, choice that really governs whether or not you're going to be able to solve some of these problems. And you have to remember that that's the case for every single piece of patient information that's out there, right? Yeah. So you're going to have that same battle within the radiology department versus the cardiology department versus the laboratory results you had versus where you got your vaccination or whatever. I mean, these are all now disparate discussions that are happening around disparate pieces of patient data that's there. So huge challenges in terms of how do you manage all that aspect. So even before you do something like, say, leverage technologies like artificial intelligence, which has all sorts of promises and means different things to different people, but it excites people, it gets people engaged, and gives people hope. But I think that's the big word is hope. It gives people hope that some of these problems can be at least mitigated or approached where they couldn't be before. But do you have to get the data clean before it? Do you have to get all the different entities from the equipment maker to the healthcare payer to the healthcare provider on the same page before you can even apply that technology? Or can AI start to move the data in the right direction, move the processes in the right direction, move operations in the right directions so that you can kind of meet in the middle so that when the patient and the healthcare pair and the provider meet and agree, then you've got something that allows you to actually do something. Yeah, 
you know, a technology like artificial intelligence can already start to move the needle for us. Yeah, and we can see its impact already within in an individual service line and how AI plays a role to help with a diagnosis. I mean, you see that right now in healthcare, there's a lot of focus in, in radiology and the radiology service utilizing artificial intelligence because they've got the ability to use simple AI techniques that we're familiar with, like pattern recognition. So the same technology that you and I are used to in our personal lives, where when we take a picture of, of somebody you know, and hold the camera up to their face that says, oh, that's Peter there, and that's, exactly. that's him smiling, that type of stuff. And then you can search yeah. Peter in your photos and it brings all the exactly. photos up, and then sometimes it brings up a picture of a dog and you're kind of wondering what it's thinking exactly. sometimes. So. so radiology is already using that same technology to say, wait a second, we can use that AI to actually start to identify different anatomical structures within the patient. So we can say, hey, that's the patient's knee or that's the patient's shoulder or that, wait a second, that's a lung nodule in that patient's lungs. So you've got pattern recognition right there that's able to kind of do some of that work. And it's already advancing. It's helping that clinician, right? So that clinician who is pressed for time, can't spend as much time as they want to with the patient. If AI can come in there and help the clinician say, hey, you know, I look through all these images for you already, Mr. or Mrs. Radiologist, and we've actually found this particular nodule, you should take a look at this. And then these other images, we didn't find anything, so you don't have to worry about that. That's going to help the clinician save a little bit of time, be more efficient, all those things that they're under the pressure to, to try to achieve. The radiologists have been in the headlines, of course, as everybody knows, too. Yeah. It's like radiologists are, watch out. But I think it's good to pause and think, like the point you're making, is it's not AI or humans, AI plus no. human. And I know that's definitely within the conversation, but I think it's, it's worth pointing out that a lot of what we're talking about is augmentation, not replacement. And it is a bit hyperbolic to start saying, well, we don't need radiologists anymore, yeah. that that's absurd. Yeah. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah, I mean, within health and years, we term it as AI being a companion for yeah. the clinician. Yeah, so the clinician is still going to make that ultimate diagnostic or therapeutic decision here. But can we have a technology like AI be that companion for him or her so that they have actually a more informed or more confident diagnosis or a more confident treatment plan for that particular patient? So that's where we see, again, the technology working hand in hand with the clinician rather than replacing that clinician there. I'll come back to the word hope because I, like I like to inject hope in the conversation too. And there are other capabilities that artificial intelligence has and the new and the reason why there's been an inflection point is because some of the large language models have produced results that have excited people, that have inspired people, that have astonished people. And so looking at things, this is more future gazing though because there are the hurdles that you're talking about. Those have to be addressed before you can really apply technology. Otherwise, you know, you're just throwing technology at flawed data and it's garbage in, garbage out. What is some of the hopes that you have for how you would love to apply this type of technology in order to create better outcomes for patients. Yeah, in, in the area of large language models, I, we see a, a lot of exciting potential there from a healthcare standpoint. And one of the first areas of interest is, is the fact that if you think about large language models, you think about the input for large language models and the output of large language models. They're actually kind of simple language, yeah, colloquial language. So yeah. we can actually feed these LLMs kind of our natural language. Exactly. Yeah. We're training them yeah. to talk like people and output exactly. stuff that sounds like people. Exactly. And that's, what, that's one of the big inflection points because it's yeah. far more approachable from an interface standpoint, from a consumption standpoint. Yeah, so, so think about also the output. The output, aside from the input, the output can also be kind of this natural language or layman language that's there. So now think about the possibility it means for the patient. So now the patient 
who, again, overwhelmed with the whole healthcare process, all this clinical stuff that's happening to the patient, let alone kind of the worries that that patient might have because there might be something good or bad that might happen from the diagnosis. Now, instead of being fed a bunch of clinical reports where they're trying to make sense of it and going back to Dr. Google or whoever to kind of help them, guide them, what, what does exactly. this mean for my doctor? We can actually use LLMs to be able to convey results, clinical results in a meaningful way to the patient so that the patient actually understands what's happening to, to him or her. That's a great potential for it. And at scale. And the great thing is it's at scale. Yeah. And, is, and it'd be available as much as that person wants to be able to ask questions and ask follow-up yeah. questions. And it's, it's interesting. There's like lots of different use cases. Like, for example, someone writes a book, and instead of posting the book or posting a review or a summary of the book, they feed an LLM the book, and you can ask the book questions. How would it be great if you could have a diagnosis? Feed an LLM with a diagnosis for a personal plan, and they can ask question of the diagnosis and have a conversation. Now, whether or not the person's actually going to do what they're supposed to, that's a different question. I had a conversation with a with a you know an AI once and said, give me a, a, a plan to help me lose weight. And it said, okay, diet and exercise. And I said, well, what if I don't want to exercise? And they said, well, I'm sorry, you have to exercise, but I don't want to. Right. <laughs> right. But, that, but what you touched on is, I think the other beautiful point about LLMs is the scale aspect. So we talked about earlier, you know, there's all these innovative treatments, these innovations, research that's all happening within the healthcare side. So much that the clinician, the patient even, can't keep up with anything that's going on. Now we've got this opportunity with large language models to say, let's have the LLM consume all of this. Let's have the LLM stay up to date with the latest cancer research that's happening, the latest that's going on in terms of treating this disease or that disease, and be able to summarize it in maybe more simplistic terms for that clinician to kind of say, hey, what's the latest treatment for the prostate cancer? Here the LLM's done all the consumed millions of research studies and all this type of stuff and says- Peer-reviewed hey, papers, yeah, exactly. articles, exactly. videos, audio, and then exactly. say, send you a weekly report saying, look, exactly. at, there's five different things you might want to look at this week. Exactly. Not like a vol- voluminous thing. Let's, we know, because we're humans and we're limited and we have bandwidth. And at a certain point, like you said, the machines will do sort of the heavy lifting so that the humans can then spend more time with the human interaction component of it, that so, so the think about the piece. impact that has to again that urologist or that clinician that sits in community hospital in any town USA now has the ability to have a weekly, a daily summary of hey, here's the latest and greatest ways to treat patients who have breast cancer. Yeah, and now that clinician has that knowledge, has that information, so that when he or she is now talking to that patient, he can inform her, hey. There's great solutions that are out there that we can take care of this problem. Yeah, there's clinical trials that are happening, all this type of stuff. So great opportunity for the clinician who may not be in touch today with all the latest emerging technologies, all the latest treatments, all that stuff like that, to now be up to date with what's going on in healthcare. I think we're running, that's where we're running into sort of the uneven distribution of AI, where you're going to have certain companies, certain clinics, certain entities that will have certain types of systems in place. But I guess at scale is how do you create that ubiquity? Because you will have certain disparities of if you go to some clinic, they may not be utilizing these pieces. And there's going to be a period of time without an even distribution. And so I guess that hope is from your standpoint <laughs> that you're going to be working towards uh, solutions in which you know they can be you know far more ubiquitous so that you don't have that disparity. Yeah, we're looking to really try to democratize healthcare, yeah, and the healthcare technology in particular here. And certainly I think 
there's emerging technologies that are assisting in that space. So even beyond artificial intelligence and large language models, you, you look at the whole remote technology concept that we've all embraced, you know, the through, through the telehealth, through the pandemic, all that stuff. We have the ability now to have not just clinicians be able to review exams from remote locations or anything, but we can actually leverage those same technologies that we, we're used to, to do conference calls and all that stuff, to actually operate remote scanners. So I could have a clinician who might be an expert at looking at cardiac events or whatnot, be able to operate a CAT scanner or MRI scanner that could be thousands of miles away. So, so what's the benefit there is that now that patient, let's say that patient who's suffering from some sort of cardiac event doesn't necessarily have to drive hours to the big city to get that cardiac study done. They can go to that neighborhood community hospital for them. So this is really, again, democratizing the access to care so that, you know, again, unfortunately, patients have heart attacks in all parts of the country, rural or, or in the big city or whatnot. But now being able to enable the patient to go to their local hospital, get the same level of care that they would that they could get if they went to a, a larger institution because you have the ability to have these shorthanded resources, now leverage technologies like remote scanning capabilities to be able to take care of the patient from afar. Oh, that's fabulous. All right, well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Peter, I could talk to you for uh, probably another five hours, I would imagine, because this is, this is not a small problem. No. And it's not going away. And it's exciting that you get to be sort of in the epicenter of this, the great work and the solutions that are hopefully going to be uh, available to uh, a large population of clinicians who can then you know, provide the patient outcomes that are needed. Peter, where can people go out in the world, find more about you, your work, what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... We're very proud of all the work that we're doing at Siemens Health and Ears. So certainly folks can learn more about everything that we do to take care of the patient and all the innovation that we're doing within healthcare by going to uh, Siemens-HealthandEars.com. They can see all the great innovations that we're creating in healthcare. It's fabulous. Peter, thanks for joining the CI Exchange podcast. All right, super. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.